Welcome to Water and Air, the go-to legal podcast for senior legal professionals looking to take themselves and their teams to the next level by Parul Patel and powered by Fuel and Move. For more information on how Fuel and Move can help set up your legal team for a better version of success, click the link in the show notes below. Welcome to another episode of Water and Air. And I am so excited today because we've got a special guest. Today we've got with us Howard Stubb. Howard is a former Olympian. He uh, competed in the 1976 Olympics as a wrestler for Canada in his hometown of Montreal. And then he went on to have a career as a lawyer at the International Olympic Committee, where he was the head of legal over a span of 36 years. So when he first joined his first Olympics, was the last Olympics of the Cold War, and his last Olympics was the first Olympics with a stateless team. He's seen quite an impressive list of sporting events and all the politics that are involved with that too. So welcome, Howard. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you. My pleasure. So Howard, today's podcast is all about legacy, something that we hear a lot about these days. And as a leader in law in one of the most high-profile international organizations out there, I'm sure you've got a lot to share with us about legacy as a leader in law and also about how you create that. So why don't you tell us about, you know, what does legacy mean to you? It's funny, Peril. When I was working, I, I never thought, at least consciously, in terms of creating a legacy. I was just more focused on doing my job. And whatever I created, so be it. I mean, I, uh, people think I created a legacy. I'm happy to hear that. But I was just doing what I felt I ought to do my job correctly and to lead a team to create and lead a team to help me do it so we would do it together. You say that you feel like that you weren't really pursuing a legacy or, or that you left a legacy, but for somebody who was in, in role for 36 years or took a department from a single member to 18 members and over over a span of 36 years only had to fire two people ever. That is, you must have created some culture there that is in itself a legacy. So why don't we talk about some of the those everyday things that you did that has created such a special culture within the IOC legal department? Sure. Of course, I, I played an important role in the evolution of the department, for sure. But I was also, I helped my team and my team helped me. It was a two-way street. One, one of the first things I'll just mention, and then we can go from there, is I think it's so important to create a team spirit and togetherness. Wow, it's so interesting that you say that because we hear so much about it. And especially this year with, I think it was one of the common themes that came out of all the summer of sport that we've just had is this team togetherness. So in a legal department, what even is that? And how do you ever go about creating this? We're so used to working in silos. It seems like a almost like a foreign subject. Obviously, there's always some silos, but I think it's really important for the different people within the same department to communicate well with one another. It's also important for different departments to communicate well with one another. And maybe I'll just start off. One key point in creating team spirit is that all the players in that team feel that they are being treated fairly, that they are being listened to and that they are being treated fairly. Yeah. And that's a lot easier said than done when you're in the kind of fast paced and highly political environment with lots of competing interests. So do you have a story or an example of when you, when that actually came to play or how you demonstrated that? Sure. Sure. A couple of examples, maybe two. One is just the distribution of the workflow. 
well, I would be careful. I would notice when people were leaving the office. You know, you have to judge it by each lawyer's. And, and I didn't say this yet. Not all the lawyers are equal. So you have to divide the work up accordingly. Some of these are not equal because some have more experience than others. Other times, you know, certain lawyers may have a specialty in one area that the other lawyer doesn't have in the other area. And just one more example that I'll give now about fairness is when I had to allot offices. We were changing buildings. And not all the offices are identical, so I had to find some manner in which to allot them. But I really tried my best so that everyone in the department was listened to or felt listened to, and I went from there. So I think that's really important that they feel, people feel that they're listened to. Of course, when I say they feel they're listened to, it means they should also be listened to. Of course, in some areas, we may have legals with lawyers with more experience, less power legals, administrative assistance, that also helps facilitate the division of, of work. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that it's to have a fair system that where there's transparency, people can know what to expect and you deliver against that. It's so easy to get those kinds of things wrong. And listening, like as a leader, to find the time to take the opportunity to actually listen and take it into consideration, even in those, in the details of everyday choices. How do you manage all of these things? How do you balance it between... Well, the pressures that again, you've got just, at a political level and uh, and the pressures you've got on looking after your team. Yeah. Relating to that, parallel, other points on the team spirit is, you know, they have to feel their backs are covered. You, the leader, has to set the example. That's really important. You have to practice what you preach. You have to help ensure that there's not any cliques forming, you know, one group against another. That's super important. And if you do all that, then everyone, I mean, not only does the leader share his or her knowledge and wisdom with the rest of the team, but then the team itself shares the knowledge and wisdom that they have accumulated with each other. And I always like to think the cream rises to the top. So everyone's in, in any event, so everyone's helping each other. And I think that's uh, the way it should be. Yeah, it's a really interesting analogy with the cream rising to the top. And I think perhaps you could explain what that actually means, because it's not just about the cream at the top, is it? No, I mean, you need everyone in the world. You need people who are making at the top, making big decisions, but you need people at the other end of the spectrum who are maybe doing things that some may consider more menial, but are very important to the proper functioning of, of society. And yeah, I should I, add, what I've said about legal, it really goes for any department. It doesn't have to be a legal department. It could be any department. Yeah, I, I suppose the nuances of, of a legal department is that the day-to-day -day workflow is less attuned to a team spirit and more kind of a, a siloed system where we have quite a high level of autonomy. I, I mean, it's a combination, Brown. In some cases, you know, they have, you know, my people who are working, sometimes they have direct, direct contact with their stakeholders, you know, other departments or even third-party entities outside the IOC. It does not always go through me. And I don't want it to because I don't have the time. I like when my people know when to come to me, if they have a question, not to come to me for every petty question, but to come to me when it's important and not waste time going down the wrong path. You know, it seems to work itself out. And some of the, what I said now and what I, I may say as the podcast goes on, they're all interconnected. Yeah. Really all reinforce each other in some way or other. So Howard, you know, as you're trying to build, whether you did it intentionally or it's just part of who you are, you're building the kind of a, a, a unity or even a community within your legal department, you were still doing some actual legal work. So how did you, you know, when you stepped into a leadership role, 
maybe you had your first hire or first two hires. How did you learn to balance out your job as a... Actually, naturally worked itself out. I was super busy. Like the whole, the level of the department gets to a higher level. And then I have higher level things to do. And also as time goes on, fortunately or unfortunately, neither, that's the world. The world is getting something that's complicated, in my opinion, overcomplicated. I think people should try and simplify things. So there was always more for me to do. I was lucky though. Firstly, I had the most experience. So often they would come to me for, for help. Although in some areas, like when we started doing, let's say data protection, I had no very little experience. So the person to whom I delegated that knew more than I did. But for the most part, like I was the, you know, at the top and I could help everyone in some way or another. I didn't mind delegating. I was happy to delegate. I was lucky that I could keep some of the interesting stuff for me, but everything was interesting, quite frankly, to the person who did it. And sometimes we'd even move some files around. If you did the same files for a while, I said, okay, let's switch with someone else. And everything was interesting. It naturally worked itself out. And of course, when you're a leader, you've got all the other relationships, like with HR and general management, senior management that you have to manage because these are the influences, these are your stakeholders, these are ones who are going to decide whether you get that extra headcount or you don't, where legal is seen in the organization and, and it's important. So there's more and more things that are added to your list and you're doing the legal stuff. So again, how did you learn to manage that? And in an organization, which I think is known for its politics, big politics. <laughs> yeah. To, to a large extent, you know, I, Alert through osmosis, you know, little by little, you, you naturally learn. And you're right about the politics. Not only does one have to know the politics within, well, on politics on various levels, within your own department, within your entity, the IOC, in other words, within other departments, and then politics with respect to third-party stakeholders, you know, your answer. What I try, well, would you like me first to talk about HR maybe? What? Yeah, why not? Because it's always a good time to talk about HR. There's always a lot of mileage in that, isn't there? I think it's maybe the only profession that has more jokes about them than the lawyers. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you're going to have to tell me some. But I, I got along well with everyone, more or less. But sometimes HR had my conflicts because I, I, I had to fight, I felt, to get additional help. The IOC, the Olympic moves, getting more complicated. And sometimes I felt we were overworked. That was sometimes difficult. And I'd have to teach my people, if they didn't get it naturally, that time is not unlimited. So... Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to deliver me or to other departments or other stakeholders for whom they were providing services, a Rolls Royce when a model car would have sufficed. And in fact, I had to do this law myself and I tried to teach my team. They had to know when to cut corners because we just did not have an unlimited amount of time. We had to do what we had to do. So as I make the analogy, you have to unblock the toilet, you know, unblock, saying that a, a figurative sense. And sometimes it was frustrating because there were files there that were just waiting to be looked into that were super interesting, but we did what had to be done. I also liked to, when some of the lawyers, I didn't have to explain everything to them. I started to explain 50%, they got it. What do you think that, well, it was that allowed that to happen? Was it because you knew each other well enough or what they were just smarter? They had more experience. Like what allowed that to happen? I think it was a learning process. I mentioned the word osmosis before on both sides. They learned maybe how to listen to me. And they also learned more about what they had to do as the final result. And I also learned more maybe how to talk to them. As everyone gets experience, you just you just get better at, at, at what you do. Were you quite visible in your team and quite available to them? 
again, interesting. You make me smile because I was very available. And some of my lawyers said, Howard, you're too available. <laughs> they realized they'd come to me and they maybe they sensed that they were, I won't say abusing me, but they saw that I was super busy. But I, I sort of erred on the more available side. It was really important. You know, they'd say, close your door. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's great when, you're, when your team are telling you to close the door and say, please be less available. <laughs> but the, the long and short of it is that it, it worked for you because you built a great team. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'd like to think I did. Again, it's not for me to say that. And now it's been a couple of years. I haven't really been, I'm still in touch with them on a friendly basis, actually, but, or with a number of them. But yes, uh, I mean, at one point, I'll tell you this funny too. At one point, I think we had this outside entity come in and analyze all of the departments. And at least according to my memory, the legal department was like the best team department. I have to say, I'm serious. I have to say, though, we then got a bit bigger. And yeah. the bigger you get, the more difficult it is. So you really have to nurture the relationships. But then again, you know, I was there for a long time at the end. And maybe it was easier for me to nurture the relationships when I was younger. I won't say when I had more energy, maybe when I was more uh, gung-ho. Well, Howard, you still have sure. a lot of energy now, don't you? So. Yeah, <laughs> so actually going back to that point of when the department grew, so when you got the award from the external consultancy or whatever, how big were you? How many boys were you? Yeah, it, it wasn't an award. It's just when the results were, it seemed, and I don't know if people, some of my colleagues would say, I don't remember that, but we were much, we were probably half the size that we were okay. maybe around 10. And when I left, we were 18. And as you said, right. I believe at the beginning when I started, there was at one point two juridical attaches. I was one of them and the other one left. And then it went from one to 18 over the course of, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And just to make it clear for everyone, can you explain what a juridical attache was? Like what level of qualification? Well, juridical attache experience I mean, or? Yeah, we were lawyers. It was just, I don't know, it was just a selection of the title. Juridical attache gave us less importance. How long had you been qualified then at that stage? Huh. Now we're getting into something else. I had very little or hardly any experience when I was hired. In, in, in fact, in my case, my lack of experience probably helped me get hired because the director at the time, I think she wanted a lawyer because they, they, there were no lawyers. She hired two juridical attaches, no lawyers in-house. There was an outside counsel. We were hired in-house because I think the person who hired us didn't want a lawyer who might put a shadow on her the director at the time. And that's one thing I'll say with building a, a very good department. I think you should feel confident enough in yourself as leader of a department to hire excellent people. And obviously you're not going to hire someone with more experience than you, unless they're for a, a very specific area that you need someone with a lot of experience. But I think to build a great department, you should not, and it may seem silly me saying this, but you should not be afraid of hiring really good people. Of course, they have to respect you as the boss. And you as the boss have to act like a boss, but I think it's really important that you hire a strong team. It makes you, you know, strong individuals to make your team stronger. So I was lucky that I got in and my lack of experience helped me get in in the first place. But then after being there for so many years, I grew with the position and I like to think, I suppose if I didn't grow properly, I would not have lasted as long. Sometimes at one time, someone said, how did you last here so long? It's such a political <laughs> environment. Yeah. Well, in that yeah. time frame, there was three presidents of the IRS, right? Yes. Samaranch, Samaranch, Spanish, Rogue, Belgian, and Bach, of course, German, uh, who is currently still the president. Yeah. So you've out, outpassed them. <laughs> well, I won't say I've passed them, but I've been <laughs> president. In you know? tenure. 
a term limit on the president. I, I did okay. That's maybe another podcast. Yeah, maybe. When you're talking about the relationship between your team and, and being a boss, you said, we've just got to be a boss. You're talking about having that self-confidence and the security in yourself to hire excellent people. But what does it mean to be a boss? Because for some people, it means that they've got all the power and control and therefore people must jump when they say jump. And what does it mean to you? To me, it means a certain responsibility. I have a responsibility, uh, you know, because I have to do, if I'm the boss, I have to do the job of the boss. And the boss has, you know, some responsibilities that the person under him do not have. That's the way the pyramid works. So it was important for me. But, you know, again, you grow into it. It happens naturally. It happened naturally for you, Howard, but I can tell you from some of the people that I've spoken to that leadership is not always such a natural process and some people really have no business being bossy. But this is where it's important to feel good about yourself, to feel good, to have courage. I know in the working environment, many people, for me, they don't have courage. I think that's one area where my sports background helped me to have discipline courage. When you're young and you do a discipline, whether it be sport or learning a musical instrument, it's it's really helpful. And also just common sense and psychology. For example, I would tell my staff that they should try and simplify things when they were working with other departments within the IOC and not complicate things. Because if they complicate things, the other departments don't really want to come to us. They say, oh, no legal. They're going to like complicate our life again. What I wanted, and I think what was happening towards the end, they would say like, Let's go to legal. They'll help us. You know, sometimes they had to go to legal in any event at one point, but I would prefer that they go to legal earlier rather than later. And I know that when I was a a lawyer starting out, sometimes I would complicate partly because you're afraid you're going to make a mistake and you go into areas and complicate things that after you gain some more experience, you know, it just won't happen. Or even in some cases, certain possibilities, I wouldn't spend the time negotiating solutions to certain possibilities that would probably never yeah, happen. I, that I guess at the time you just learn to prioritize things correctly, right? And that comes with a little bit of experience and also being able to bounce off the people you have around you. And as you say, being you were available for your team to be able to learn off you to understand where those boundaries lay. Yeah, exactly, Peril. That being said, in some cases, although I didn't go into that potential problem or potential contingency, I also made sure that what was in the contract did put me at a disadvantage should that contingency have arisen. You know what I hear from you, Howard, is all the way through is this a real great sense of responsibility for the whole and how can you make things easier, better, simpler for the people who you're working with, whether that's somebody reporting into you or to the other departments in the organization that you're supporting. It's a distinction that we need to to draw out. And you probably won't say it because I know how humble you are. But those are the behaviors of, I would say, the true leaders, the ones who embrace leadership as a responsibility, as a servanthood, and not as a, a weapon of power and control. Pearl, that's an excellent point. I think a true leader doesn't have to say, I'm the leader, listen to me. Yeah. People know he or she's the leader, they listen. And if it comes to the point of saying, I'm the boss, you do what I say, I think that's unfortunate. I, I think, yeah. you know, you conduct yourself as the boss, they know, they have respect, yeah. they know you're the boss, they know that if they're going to do something that they shouldn't, there'll be, you know, repercussions. And for me, I just was kind of myself. That's who I was. I grew into it. I felt good about myself. I think that's really important for anyone to be a boss. They have to feel good about themselves. They have to believe in themselves, but they also have to have faith in the other people, be open to what the other people have to say. 
As we close up this podcast, maybe have you got one piece of advice for people who are newly stepping up into a leadership position? The main thing is you have to feel good about yourself, good about other people. If you're good in your skin, as they say in French sometimes, then that's the best way to be a true leader, to be fair, to be unselfish. I was going to say selfless, but that's too hard <laughs> to be selfless. <laughs> But to be, if you can be great, but really to be a good person. And another thing, honest, decent, and sometimes I, I would always try to do what's right, even though short term, it may not have seemed like the best fix. I spoke about cutting corners before, but not in doing the right thing. I think if you do the right thing today, even though it may be difficult today, I think in the long run, it, it really pays off. And even in the short run. I think it, it, it still pays off. I hope I answered that. Oh, Howard, I think that's a great way to end this podcast. It's uh, wise words from a wise man, I would say. So thank you very much for sharing your insights. It's been a wonderful My conversation. Pleasure. And My pleasure. to the audience, thank you so much for listening again and joining us on this podcast. If you've got any comments or questions, or in fact, questions for Howard, because I think we're going to bring him back, just drop them into the comments box and we'll try and answer your questions. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And we're looking forward to you joining us again in the next episode of Water and Air. Thank you for being part of the Water and Air community. Make sure you never miss an episode release by subscribing and reviewing the podcast below. Also, leave your questions in the comments box and we'll try to answer them in future episodes. For the latest on performance optimization for lawyers, you can visit fuelandmove.com. We are so looking forward to you joining us next time.